listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Ah, for just one time, I would take the Northwest Passage to find the hand of Franklin reaching for the Beaufort Sea, tracing one warm line through a land so wide and savage. And make a northwest passage to the sea. Westward from the Davis Strait is there, twas said to lie, the sea route to the Orient for which so many died. Seeking gold and... And that was Stan Rogers starting us off uh, this afternoon on the Living Writers Show. This is um, Amanda Yuli uh, sitting in for T. Hetzel, the regular host. I'm your summer host for 2018. Um, and we played Stan Rogers at the request of our guest this afternoon, uh, Keith Taylor. Isn't he wonderful? You're lucky I didn't <laughs> dissolve in tears. <laughs> um, you can. I think we're going to play yeah. some more Stan Rogers Good. later. Good. Right. Thanks for joining us, Keith. My pleasure to be here, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Not your first time on the show, right? I've, I've been on before. This, this show has been very kind to me. Well, and you've been kind to us. Um, for those of us, for, for those of our listeners who haven't um, or who aren't yet familiar with you, I'd like to read a little biography sure. of you, Keith. And then uh, we want to have you introduce um, your latest book, which is called Ecstatic Destinations. Okay. Um, Keith Taylor has authored or edited 17 books and chapbooks. The book before Ecstatic Destinations was the full-length collection, The Birdwile, from Wayne State University Press. His poems, stories, reviews, essays, and translations have appeared widely in North America and in Europe. He has recently retired from the University of Michigan, where he taught creative writing for most of 20 years. Yeah, that's you know that's the quick version. That's the, we have an hour, so we can okay, <laughs> we, fill in we the can, gaps. We, let's fill in the and gaps. It's a little book. So. Um, well, it, um, it's a little book, but it's a lovely book and an Thank important you. one. I was excited this morning um, to see it in real life. Ah, I, yes. I only had the the very early version, the the printout version. Um, so, can you would you mind for our listeners who haven't seen the book yet in in real life introducing it a bit? Sure, um, I have. Over the course of, of the last 30 years, I have become more and more focused, or at least my ideas about the local um, and about writing from a particular place, making art in a particular place, have become a little firmer, a little clearer in my mind. I'm not from here originally, but I arrived here, and uh, Southeast Michigan and Ann Arbor have been very, very good to me. They're not good to everybody, but they have been sure. good to me. Um, and have given me good work and publishers and 
friends and uh, a wife and a child, um, <laughs> all, all those things. So this is, even though I'm not from here, uh, this place has, has come to be a kind of touchstone for me. Um, my wife was from Detroit and grew up with Polish immigrants after the war. And so that whole history has become a part of my life. And this book, um, I did a larger book uh, just uh, in 2017, published with Wayne State, that, that sort of is the whole area. A lot of it's the north. Um, I'm originally a Canadian, so uh, I one of the things I like about Michigan is it's so easy to it's get to the north. It's very proximate to Canada. It is. Yes. It is. I mean, the, 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 you know, to, to be in Detroit... Um, which is a city that felt the worst of industrial decline and, and, and I think is very clearly recovering from that now. And in five hours to cross the Sioux and be at the very edge of the northern forest, which stretches all the way to the North Pole. That this, I mean, this is kind of amazing that these things are so close. These very different things are so close. And that's been a good deal of what I wanted to write about. This little book, um, as I've gotten older, I've had to force myself because I'm a very sedentary guy. I'm very happy to sit in my study mm -hmm. um, and, you know, look at birds in my binoculars from my study window. Uh, but I've had to force myself to get out and get some exercise. So I just walk a little triangle of streets here in Ann Arbor, mm -hmm. uh, down Dexter Avenue to Vets Park and, and North Maple, up there to Jackson and back. It's a mile and a half. And I was, uh, the first poem I wrote in here, I was... Uh, um, I was looking at the skateboard park, and I was thinking, well, you know, I've never thought about writing a poem for the skateboard park. Um, so, I, And I went and I sat over by the ice rink at Vets, if those of you who know Ann Arbor. Uh, and I sat Many the, of our listeners will know I just suspect, exactly I what suspect. you're talking about. <laughs> um, and I watched the skateboarders. And from that distance, you can't hear them. You can't even see their skateboards. It's like they're little angels. So I wrote this poem <laughs> where I turned the skateboarders into angels, and that was kind of fun. Um, and that was the first one I wrote. And then while I was composing that on that uh, that bench, um, when I was done, sort of making the first notes in my little pocket notebook, I looked over at, at, at down the bench. And these are the kinds of things I can talk about on CBN that I couldn't anywhere else. And there were, at the end, there were two used condoms. And I, I, I had three very quick responses. The first one was, ew. Yes. You know, ew. That's, that's, that's what most people's you know, yeah. first, yeah. But then my, then my second response was, oh, Keith, why did you go, ew, you're such a Puritan. <laughs> it's your religious upbringing still coming out, you know. Uh -huh. um, what if the sex those people had was great? What if it was the best <laughs> sex of their lives on that, on that bench last Someone night? Someone had a wonderful experience exactly, on that bench. Exactly. Yeah, don't and put then it my down. third response was, well, I got to put the condoms in a poem, um, or otherwise the poem's not truthful, whatever that means. So I wrote another poem about the condoms. So there's, yes. I drafted two poems that first day, um, the first day that, that mm -hmm. poems hit me on this walk. And then I just said, well, there's all these other things that I've been thinking about on this walk. There's on your this, triangle. On my triangle. Uh -huh. And it's not a very dramatic triangle. I mean, it's it's basically residential. Vets Park is a sports park. There's not like lovely little nature walks there. Right. Um, oh, and but, you know, what I'd been noticing was the intrusion of the natural world even into that space. Um, there's, a, there's a lovely little spot there that nobody in Ann Arbor knows about, although... Tens of thousands of people drive by it every day, right at the corner there where where North Maple meets Jackson, um, Business mm -hmm. 94. There's, you look over and there's four spruce trees, and behind that is a, is a gully. 
And in that gully is the only place where the west branch of Allen Creek is above ground. It's where maybe the only time where Allen Creek is above ground other than out oh, at the right? golf course south of town because we buried that stream. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it was like, and you know, I mean, it's, it's funky and there's trash and you know i mean there's things other than trash um but it's it's like oh wow these trees are doing their little uh, little thing right They're here thing. Uh, whether we, we whether we notice them or not so that sort of became a thing and then of course you know i'm always looking at birds as and many of my books have dealt with birds the last that big one as you you said was called the bird wow and on a ridge like that, in the fall and even in the spring, you can see lots of birds migrating along that ridge. So it's actually, it's actually there. Plus, you know, then I was able to get. I'm not very sportif, as you know, those of you who look, <laughs> who know what I look like can tell. Uh, but I was able to get baseball in there, skateboarding, uh, at least a passing with uh, ice hockey, um, football. Um, there's something else too. I didn't get tennis in there, which is too bad because there's mm. tennis courts there. But there are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was able to get all these sporty things in this in this little collection of poems, which was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah I think reading the poems, I um, I had a few senses. One of a very traditional uh, poetry uh, subject matter, which is the weather and land and water and that yep, sort of thing. Yep. But then intruding into that so beautifully and so often are these man-made things. Condoms are one, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> benches and, uh, and buses yeah. and, yep. and other oh, yeah, things. Oh, yeah, buses are big. Buses are big, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, how, how did that come about, that mixture of those things? Did you set out to do one thing? Or, well, I, 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 I didn't. Or both. Once I realized I could do this, I set out to, I said, I'm going to get 20 poems. They can be really small, and, and almost all of these are tiny, that come out of this triangle. Okay, mm-hmm. um, but now that's a place I've lived for thirty years, so I know the bus routes. You know, those, those, these are these are things I've taken when I did work at the university. I took that bus every day. Um, I, I know the people. I know the neighborhood. I know what people expect. I know what people try to grow. Uh, so it it sort of all came together. Um, there and there were several things. I mean, there's the buses that are there. Um, there's that sense of there's a that these little wild groves of trees that just sort of pop up, um, and maybe you know maybe there's even something sacred in there. Although I don't want to make too much out of that. Um, and there's a couple of other things that just sort of recur in there. People waiting to get on the bus, um, and and so those those didn't really become patterns until I had a group of poems, um, and that was kind of fun. So the way you're talking, it makes me think. Um you, as a person who has lived in that neighborhood for 30-some years, um, you are the person to write this book. Um, and it could only it could only come from someone with the sorts of experiences you've had in that neighborhood. But I wonder, what what would a poet do, or, or what would you do, uh, writing about a new neighborhood? You know, <sighs> right. could, could anything like this be written uh, by someone who's new to that triangle of Ann Arbor? It would be very different. Um it would probably have more i've written i've written yeah. poems about places i don't know nearly as well um, yes. and and the impetus of those poems is discovery okay yes. I mean, this is something i am seeing for the first time yes these poems feel very different to me because they like I me mean, this is something i know very well i have to actually because i know it so well i've got to stop and look at it yes otherwise i just ignore it Yes. Um, it's a different a, kind of observation. Very different thing, yeah. Because it also comes from those years and years that you have um, in your past yeah, of knowing that Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other 
part of this that really struck me, the, the local part, is kind of our national emphasis on how important local is. Did you, yeah. Was that in your mind at all? Well, I mean, know, certainly, I'm talking about politics a yeah, little bit. Yeah, but, but um, I mean, we're else. talking about politics, but also, you know, the, the well, at least one branch of um, critical theory is very interested in what the local is, the local as opposed to the, yeah. the, the broader. And, 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 and do we as individuals uh, respond more to Larger pressures, particularly in a you know electronic culture, mm-hmm. um, or do we still respond to the local? Um, what is our response to place um, if we're in placed? Um, does that change the way we respond to the world? And I you know kind of think it does. I mean, I, I think many of my attitudes toward the world have been shaped by living in Ann Arbor, which, as as we know, can be an, as 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 great as it is to live here and as wonderful it is to raise children here um it is a it 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 can feel overly precious um and protected although um you know that in in the balance of things that doesn't uh that doesn't make it negative to it doesn't me. corrupt it although it does it does to, for some people yeah, yeah. It, does. Oh, it does yeah it does. Yeah. i mean there are people who yeah. you know don't like ann arbor because of that um, sure and i understand that sure I like to be a little gritty myself sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> less less now that I'm getting aged. <laughs> I don't think you're getting aged. <laughs> the, the appeal uh, of grit is going down. A bit. I see. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Yeah. I mean, you know, reading it as a person who lives um, and who has for 18 or so years on the south side of Ann Arbor, uh-huh. I, I almost felt like this was a book about a world that was very familiar to me, but also deeply local. In a, in, and outside of my experiences, oh, I haven't walked that yeah, triangle. Yeah. I've you know driven by. Yeah, right. But I, have, right. I haven't sat on that bench. And there's and and there's I, no real reason to because it's, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of prettier. You can go to the Arb uh, <laughs> rather than my neighborhood, yeah. or you can um, read your book. You can read my book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are lots of things about this process. The 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 publisher. This is the third chapbook of mine that she's done. Um, but but she's local um, mm-hmm. and doesn't live too far from me. Just uh, over, well, I guess I better not say where she lives. But uh, uh, <laughs> and she to. and she does you know she does these little chapbooks. She does them beautifully. She cares about them. She has very once she's dealing with a manuscript, she has very informed opinions about it. This one she didn't uh, didn't recommend um, many, if any, changes. But there's at least one chapbook of mine she reworked a lot mm-hmm. and made it better. Um, even though I was a little skeptical at first, she, I don't think she herself is a poet. She knows she's not going to make any money on this. I mean, mm-hmm. if if. Those of when she does a little chapbook like this and print runs of 250, 300 copies, you know, if she sells a couple hundred copies, she can remake her costs. Right. Because these, I mean, you know, these are not cheaply done. And, uh, you know, that's really all she can hope for. And it's, just, it's kind of amazing to have somebody that dedicated. Her name is Jill Peak. Um, the press is called um, Alice Green Press. She comes from a family of publishers. Her father did an academic press. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it's sort of wonderful. And then this is produced here. When I had to talk to my publisher, I could just walk six blocks and talk to my publisher, you know. Uh, at least <laughs> and did you walk? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I've really driven there, there, too, but okay. uh, <laughs> when I have other things to do. But, yeah, we'll just walk over there and do it, and it's great. It's That's fun to do. It's beautiful. I want yeah. to talk more about um, small publishers like Alice Green sure. in a moment. Um, this is the Living Writers Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Uh, we're talking to Keith Taylor, who is author most recently of Ecstatic Destinations. Thanks for joining us today, Keith. It's really my pleasure. It's a lot of fun. Shall we hear another Stan Rogers song? Oh, I may, I may weep. Okay, yes. let's do it. 
She went down last October in a pouring, driving rain. The skipper, he'd been drinking and the mate, he felt no pain. Too close to Three Mile Rock and she was dealt her mortal blow. And the Mary Ellen Carter settled low. There was just us five aboard her when she finally was awash. We'd worked like hell to save her, all heedless of the cost. And the groan she gave as she went down, it caused us to proclaim that the Mary Ellen Carter would rise again. Do you know, do you know Stan Rogers? I'm getting to know Stan Rogers on <laughs> this program. It's amazing, and and you know he he was, you know we we overuse the word hero, but he really died a hero's death. I mean, he tell was, me about it. He was coming, coming back from to Toronto from a uh, a music festival in Austin, and the plane Air Canada, Canada flight caught on fire, and they landed in Cleveland, and he was first class, so he got out, but then he kept going back. Is to that get so? people out and then died in that fire. Most everybody got out. Oh, wow. Um, but he, he kept going back to bring out chill, kill children and things. So, wow. Yeah, amazing. I'm glad you told that yeah. story. Plus, he's got that great Nova Scotia, or Newfoundland sound. You know, Canada. Sort of, yeah, half Canada and half Irish, you know. Yeah. It's great. Can yeah. we talk Canada? You're from Canada. I'm, I'm from Canada originally, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm still a Canadian citizen, even though, you know, I'm sort of known as, uh, in any reputation I have is as an upper Midwestern poet, but <laughs> but I'm, I'm a Canadian citizen. You're Canadian. I'm still a Canadian citizen. Do you yeah. go back very often? Uh, all the people of my parents' generation are now gone, as in dead. Uh-huh. So they're the ones I felt most compelled to, to go. Visit. I mean, my mm-hmm. I, I love my cousins and my second cousins, um, but it, because I've lived in the states so much of my life, I'm not that close to them. Mm-hmm. So I don't go back as much as I should. Um, then there are times I let my passport expire, which means I'm stuck in the states. So. <laughs> Because <laughs> the Americans wouldn't let me back in without some uh, recognition yes. of, of yes, who I the am, borders so. are interesting these yeah. days. We yeah, know, they are. They're, they're tough. Um, but but now you're living in a. I I think I can describe it as a Canadian-like part of Michigan. <laughs> is that is that fair? Uh, yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> I may, maybe that? that's one of my my. The reasons it was so easy for me to fall in love with Michigan once I arrived here in my 20s, because uh, it was so much like at least some part of Canada. Yeah. Um, and and um, in the summer, last dozen years, um, I've lived uh, at the University of Michigan's biological station, which is up uh, just below the bridge. In the summers, In said. the summers. I've taught there. This year, I'm artist in residence. Um, so it's, it's a place I've gone. To I love. thought they taught science there, and I thought you were a poet. <laughs> they do I need teach. To know they more. do teach science there. Um, the current director, just about at the end of his tenure, a wonderful guy named Newton Nadelhofer, uh, thought they might expand the curriculum, and he and I invented this class, which we call environmental writing in Great Lakes literature, mm-hmm. uh, which we taught up there for a while, and then that has enthused the English department. They want to start something uh, which they're calling Great Lakes Arch, Arts, Culture, and Environment. Um, they're imagining it's sort of like their New England literature program where they will take people up to northern Michigan um, and do these arts, culture, and environment kinds of things. Um, Didn't fly this year, but maybe next year. Um, So that would be the continuation of this thing I started up there. What a tremendous opportunity that would be for young writers. Yeah, wouldn't it be great? I think so, too. Northern Michigan is a gem. It's incredible, yes. Are you from here originally? No, I'm not. Oh. I've moved around a lot. I sort of landed yeah. in Michigan when I was about 16. Okay, so, okay. Um, yeah. And then came back. Yeah, it can get, uh, it, can get uh, it can get under your skin. 
Well, you know, I never, um, I never, to be honest, thought much of Northern Michigan. I thought, like, why go on vacation Correct. in the same state where you live? This yep. is uh, something Frank knows well from when we first met. <laughs> but we just returned from up yeah. uh, in the Glen Arbor area, oh, which is yeah. so beautiful. Yeah, very close and, to um, it's yeah. just dear yeah. to my heart. Yeah. So can you tell a little bit more about the biological station, just because now I'm well, curious? Yeah, I mean, like, the, university like? got, the university got this land in 1909. So, you know, this is, this is well over a century. They've had this now. The land had been burned out and logged out um, just before the U of M got it. So essentially what they've done is watch this forest regrow for over a century. Mm-hmm. It's 10,000 acres, wow. um, which is a, you know, a lot of land. And then the, the, the little sort of campus area where there are students and researchers and, and mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, some people from U of M, some other people from all over the world. Uh, work there in the summertime. Um, it's just a tiny little part of that. It's on a lake called Douglas Lake. Uh, University of Michigan owns seven uninterrupted miles of that. It's the largest bit of uninterrupted uh, land on an inland lake in, in the Lower Peninsula. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's just gorgeous. And, and But of course, it's a research forest. So they do things like chop down trees to see what and happens. Check them and, out. Yeah. And the chop down <laughs> trees can be walking through the woods and you think you're miles from nowhere and you look over and there are two electrical wires coming out of an aspen tree. You go, Whoa, that's a little scary. Um, but I love, I, mean, I love being around these scientists. They seem to be, they seem to like me around. Um, uh-huh. which do is they great. write? Are you teaching writing to any uh, of the science students? No, or? I've been teaching writing to, well, to science, science students, yes. Um, yes. And to humanities students who get science distribution. Distribution. Um, so yeah, the students were sort of from all over, but but yeah, probably more, probably more sciencey, programming the environment kind of students than you'd get in your normal English classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got very close to them. I mean, it's uh, uh, just because we're all living in the woods and you know mm-hmm. we're all eating together and. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds like a lot of fun. It is, it's been a lot of fun. It's been good, yeah. But this will be my last summer there. So. Mm-hmm. And your artist in residence. This year, I'm artist in residence, which is great. And um, what do you write there? Or I, well, it's presumptuous to, to say you write there, but I... Since uh, since the book short, let me just... This is one... I can't read you that one, because, but this is one I did this summer. Oh, please. Um, and... Uh, so this is brand new. I haven't read it out loud to anyone yet. And what it hit me was after I'd been there a week, my father's been, been dead for 10 years. And I walked into my cabin and I, you know, that, that odor, the people we love that have this, the scent rather than mm-hmm. the odor that we recognize immediately. Mm-hmm. And I walked into my cabin and I smelled my father, mm-hmm. which of course, of course meant that I'm becoming my father. <laughs> <laughs> That's the conclusion. Right. And my father and I had very, have had very different things. So I call this in spite of myself. When I walk into the cabin up north where I've stayed for a week, a place thousands of miles from my father's grave, a place where I work with scientists studying evolution and adaptation, a subject he and I couldn't talk about without slicing at each other, bitter and certain of our ideas. The first thing I smell, individual, pungent but not unpleasant, is the distinctive scent of my father's body. So... um, my father was an evangelical minister, so he didn't like the idea of evolution. So we would, it was one of the things that we, as we worked out our truces, we never, we decided we'd never talk that about it. Although we never it. said it explicitly. Yes. Ev- evolution and homosexuality, those were the two things we couldn't, couldn't talk, talk about. about. It. Yeah. I did not know that about you. My father was a Lutheran pastor. Was he really? Yeah. Oh. Well, as, as we used to <laughs> say about my grandmother, she was a Lutheran before she got saved and became a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> You guys don't like really yeah, count. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> That's funny. Um, 
Thank you for reading that. So that's Certainly. an unpublished poem. That's an unpublished poem. Hasn't had. I don't know if it ever will be published. It's uh, the ink is still wet on the page. So I appreciate your sharing it with sure. the living writers audience. Hey, my pleasure. Um, let's talk more about okay. ecstatic destinations. Would you like to read some more from? Sure. From that um, I I'd could just I could just sort of start at the beginning um, and see see where we go, um, and interrupt. We could interrupt, and you can interrupt with questions. And how does that sound? That sounds great. Let's okay, read. Good. It has an epigraph from the uh, writer. Dennis Johnson, who I don't know was ever in the state of Michigan. This is from a, a really famous book of stories of his called mm-hmm. Jesus's Son, um, where uh, the character. This is CBN, right? I can say there's certain this words is, I can this say is here. CBN. That, so the character's we, name is. Okay. <laughs> Um, oh, Frank says we're going to be beeping that. So, are we? Oh, yes, okay. but that, well, we can just beep it. Okay. We, can, we can beep, but yeah. it may come back that word. Um, <laughs> the uh, beep, so, so CBN listeners are imaginative, so they'll a figure beep it out. Can be they will figure it out. Yeah. I think okay. Um, so the, this is this is from Jesus's son. Uh, you can't just sit on the bus, she said, talking to me in her rearview mirror. You've got to have a destination. So this is this you know homeless guy who just rides around on a, on a bus, and the bus driver says that to him. You've got to have a destination. And, uh, you know, as I walk around my neighborhood, it just occurs to me that do I? Do I not? Uh, you know, I don't know. But uh, you're you're taking a journey around your neighborhood. I, exactly. You're, you're Thank not, you, Amanda. Thank your destination you. is back at your home, right? Right, right. <laughs> when right. you're or finished the, with your journey. The destination is where I am, yeah. This is a beautiful book. I'm holding it in my hand for the first time. Oh, yeah. And, a, um, it, it, so it's, the publisher is Alice Green. Yep. Yep. Or Alice Green Press. Alice, uh, uh, I'm to call it Alice Green and Company, I think. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Um, yeah, it's beautifully done. Yeah, they do. She's very, very careful. Um, and, you know, she proofreads well. Although the second chapbook of mine she did, I don't think I've ever even pointed this out to her. There, there are two typos in there that both she and I missed. It's deeply embarrassing. Wow. Um, but uh, Never speak of typos with never the published speak book. Of typos. Yes. I, don't, I haven't, found any, haven't found any in this one yet. So it's a, maybe because it's small. Let's hear it. Now, the first poem in here is, is actually just a little prose piece. And again, it's just... Uh, it's just almost just recording the, a moment there on that same park bench, different day than the, the day I was describing earlier. But So I call this The Old Poet en plein air. Oh, the other interesting thing about this was I, 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 when I started this book, I was going to do it all outdoors, like the, the Impressionist painters, mm-hmm. all en plein air. Mm-hmm. Um, the revisions were going to be en plein air, everything. Did, did that work out? Well, most of this book was done outdoors. Oh. Yeah, um, oh. there were things along the way that got back. So, so this was the old poet on plein air. The old poet sitting on the park bench behind the ice rink scribbles things in his pocket notebook about vultures and sacred groves. A younger man, weathered by his years outdoors, comes and sits at the other end of the bench. So, man, he asks, are you going back to the shelter tonight? The poet pauses, appears uncertain. No, I don't think so. Yeah, the younger man says, things are just too intense down there. Yeah, the old poet responds, but there's a small, almost inaudible catch in his breath. Definitely. What what a statement on identity <laughs> and uh, yeah, sort of autobiography in, in these poems. Yeah, Can yeah. you talk about that a little well, bit? Well, you know, it's... Uh, I, I really... Um, I don't want to romanticize it, but uh, the, but the fact that uh, uh, people going to the homeless shelter um, occasionally think I'm one of them, I'm kind of proud of that in an 
odd way that it's a little bit embarrassing than I say it out loud on the radio. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, that at least I'm not seen um, as something other than they are. Yes. Um, and, you know, I mean, I mean, gosh, I taught at the University of Michigan, you know. Sure. Um, I'm kind of, you know, <laughs> pleased that, exactly, yeah. <laughs> that, I can, that I can cross those, those boundaries. I have another friend, um, maybe he looks a little rougher than I do, who, uh, who uh, he was sitting in the library one day and somebody came up to him and says, so, man, are you an addict? <laughs> And well, that's went, a new one. He went, I could understand homeless, but an addict? <laughs> um, now, you're talking like this ha- has happened to you more than once. It has, yeah. Yes. I mean, maybe it's the beard. Um, and maybe there are a lot. Sitting I mean, around I, in parks. I have a big white beard. And uh-huh. maybe there are people who go to the homeless shelter who have big white beards. Like and him. we all look alike. You know? yeah. Bald, bald yeah. white men with a big white beard. That's, uh, you know, maybe. Yeah. We, we, we well, there also right. are, you know, 20 ways you could have responded. And the way that exactly. you did is is really beautiful. Good. I think Good. and very Thank you. inclusive. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um. It's, uh, maybe that's one of those things I've learned. <laughs> so that's set it up. And then um, I went from that to the bus um, where I want to put myself in the in the throng of the 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 people who live there and the people who are waiting for the bus, although none of us are at that point very um, imaginative. I actually compare us all to cows. It's not very flattering. <laughs> January thaw. Even though it feels like spring, those of us who know too much huddle around the bus stop. We put our hoods up and hunch against the wind, our glassy bovine eyes half-focused somewhere down the road. Chickadees, silly and inconsequential, let loose their mating calls in the bushes behind us. When the bus crests the hill, we shuffle to the curb and wait. So, yeah, waiting for the bus. It's uh, it's not the most... If you, if you, if you've taken the bus a lot in Ann Arbor, and you didn't, but then you find yourself in a car and you drive by the bus stops and you see all those people staring off in the direction the bus is supposed to be coming from, <laughs> even though there's no bus in Eagerly. Uh, eagerly or even with this sort of resigned look on their faces, slouching. It's the morning. Nobody wants to get up and go to work. Um, but that's, you know, that's it. Thought. So you can see how, how these books, the, the way they shape in people's minds. So... The homeless moment took me to the bus. The waiting for the bus to come over to the hill takes me back to the park um, and the, the hill that people go sledding on at Vets Park all the time. So there's another word in here that Frank is going to have to bleep out, but we'll let him do that. All right. The sledding hill. There must be a history of collisions here. Twisted ankles, broken bones, headaches and nosebleeds, frostbite, maybe even something worse. But all that lingers while we melt into spring, other than lost mittens and piles of frozen dogfish rising into the light, are fading squeals, almost breathless, and the overconfident commands of parents about to release their toboggans and their heirs to the forces pointed only downhill, all barely an echo in the air, laughter and the possibilities of delight. So that, I mean, I, you know, I had those two poems that, that might be read at the beginning, it might be read as kind of gloomy, and I really did want to, you know... Have a, the re- recurring thing in this book that they're um, of joy, um, and then it, it ends on a 
uh, you know, ecstatic. That Ex- these destinations ecstatic, can be yeah. ecstatic. Yeah. Yes. Um, and and you know, hopefully the little collection ends ends with that. Although there are moments along the way that are not. And in, in this this one that you just read, the Sledding Hill, mm-hmm. I saw. Um, this beautiful way of imagining what might have happened, and, and you you talk about things that you haven't seen, right. but that you maybe you have maybe subconsciously or somewhere in those thirty years in the neighborhood you yeah. have internalized. And I'm sure, those things have happened, and and things that happened to me when I was a kid on sledding hills. You know, it's yeah. like I thought I'd never walk again. You know, those, those <laughs> the injuries, the injuries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such a. Um, I mean, in so many ways, there are these simple documentarian details where you're capturing what is happening in those on those streets and in that neighborhood. Yeah, um, but then you're imagining. Thank you. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, know. you used that phrase, documentarian, um, because I've always been interested in that, that poetry, too, can document things. Um, it, it's, you know, the, imagine, when the imagination can function with real things that get ordered in the poem um, mm-hmm. in, a, in a documentary. Now, um, one of the, the few times I've been criticized in print, um, it was, what was the word they used? It wasn't documentary, reportage. Mm-hmm. Oh, Taylor, there's so many of Taylor's poems that are just reportage. Huh. Um, and um, I decided I wouldn't be offended by that. I don't think I would be. Yeah, but he meant yeah. it in an offensive yeah. way. <laughs> it wasn't meant as a compliment. No, it was not. Yeah. Well, in 30 more years, uh, that neighborhood might be different. And exactly. someone might want to know how you experienced exactly. it and what was there. Yeah. It'll and be all high-rise apartments. Who right? knows what it'll be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're right. This next one is um, about a current issue. Uh, people, everybody has an opinion about whether we're going to shoot the deer or not. Um, so this is the cull. I'm not quite sure what my opinion on the cull is, by the way. So, The city wants to cull the herd. Too many gardens are losing dogwoods and redbuds, clipped to the ground over winter. The white-tailed deer have retraced their snowy trails through our yards, sneaking in at night to do their work. We catch only a quick glimpse when they run off at dawn. We hear them snort in the dark, not sure if the, sounds rise, the sound rises from our dreams. The city plans to give the meat away. That was the call. Um, I want to say again that we're listening to the Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Our guest is Keith Taylor, poet. Um, and I think Keith, we it's time for a break for some sure, Evan Chambers. Sure. Good and then, Evan Chambers. Wonderful. Can we do Evan Chambers? Yeah, let's let's um, Evan Chambers. talk about him afterward. We can talk about him afterward. Sure. Sounds good. There is a song which doth belong to all the human race concerning death 
That's a gloomy one. <laughs> Thanks for choosing it. Uh, yeah. Tell us Ed, a little bit about Evan it. Evan Chambers is, teaches uh, musical composition here. Um, and he and I have been friends since the 80s when we were both clerks at the original Borders. Back in the days oh when it was goodness. the only Borders. I didn't and know you were both, a bookseller, too. I was. Oh, for almost 20 years. But oh uh, um, Evan's had quite a career. This is a long piece he did that had poems and songs. The songs, like that one, were actually, the lyrics actually come from tombstones uh, in New Hampshire, an old 17th century graveyard uh, in, in New Hampshire. Um, it was comm- commissioned by the University Symphony Orchestra. And I had a poem that began the piece, um, which I could read you if you want. Um, and yes. it's... it's uh, uh, and then I traveled with the orchestra, and we ended up at Carnegie Hall. So I got to read a poem on stage at Carnegie Hall, which that's tremendous. It is. I mean, not many poets get to do that. A lot of musicians get to Carnegie Hall, but not many poets. So um, please read us the poem. The, the poem I wrote, which is also about a graveyard, but it's about where my Irish immigrant relatives are buried in in uh, Western Canada. Um, including my great-grandmother who died of suicide to get away from my great-grandfather, obviously. So Mm -hmm. this is this isolated cemetery um, in Alberta. It's called All the Time You Want. Take the chain from the gate, walk in. No one really cares. Most of the stones have faded, are cracked or broken. Designed as a churchyard like the ones left behind in the old country, the yard outlasted its church. All the kids who could moved to town years ago. Someone mows, but not often. Here you are free to invent whatever tales you need. Please, take all the time you want. See that obelisk, barely a yard tall, tilting over in the back corner, about to fall? It marks another common story early death, illness, and a miserable marriage. If you think you have some time, you can pick weeds from the plot or try to write that stone. There's little else to do here. So when I walked out on stage at Carnegie Hall, and I'm sitting in a chair off to the side, and I'm looking out at this spectacular place, thinking I'm going to read this poem about my desperate, penniless Irish immigrant relatives. Yes. Um, I was, you know, it's like, whoa, I got to stop thinking about this. <laughs> and then when, and so there was an introduction to that that piece, that's the uh-huh. symphonic song cycle. Um, and then I got up to, to 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 do the first thing to read this poem, and I, I knew self consciously I went about thirty seconds before my cue because I'm going to stand here and I'm going to look out at this place because I'm never going to be here again. This is so uh, um, well, that was fun. When you began as a writer, you probably didn't imagine standing in front of an audience at Carnegie Hall. No, um, um, I didn't. <laughs> but I didn't. I'd like to know um, how you began as a writer. I, I first of all didn't know until now that Borders. Uh, was part of your past as it a is, bookseller. And then, um, and then I, I managed Shame and Drum Bookshop for the 90s. So mm-hmm. at that point, I was already doing a little teaching, but uh, teaching took over about 2000. And you were you started writing then? or uh, Even before then, yeah. I, I mean, that's what I've... Once we, when we moved to the States, I didn't know anybody. People made fun of me. My English teachers failed me because I spelled color and honor and theater and you center. You put and in there, yeah. Um, and I just started working with words on my own. Um, it became the thing I did. And and when I moved to the States, it was the late 60s. I moved to South Bend, Indiana, a beat-up industrial town where the factories had all just closed from rural 
Alberta, rural Western Canada. Uh, so I felt really out of place. Plus, adolescence, you know, it's, adolescence is always tough. Um, no matter and, where you are. Right, right. And then I, you know, I sort of did that in South Bend and then left and went to Europe. Um, so ran away on a one-way ticket to Europe where I was penniless for a bunch of years. How old were you when you ran away 19, to Europe? Yeah, um, and stayed there most of the time till almost 23. Um, I was going to get married and live the rest of my life in France, that sort of thing. Um, were you writing poems? And that sounds I was. Like by that point, that I was writing like poems. Poetry, so, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was hit by the bug of words yeah. when I got to the States because that was what I had. And I wrote poems about winter. I'm a Canadian boy in the Midwest. I'm going to write poems about winter. What do you mean winter. that was what you had? Um, I mean, I really didn't have any friends. I was I had already sort of turned away, turned from the family religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I books became my life. Uh, books and, and words on paper became my life. Mm-hmm. I became a little more gregarious as time went on, <laughs> but, uh, but but yeah, adolescence is miserable for everyone. But I, I feel it was particularly miserable I for see. me. My, adoles- my adolescence miserable. was worse than yours. <laughs> uh, but. Um, so yeah, words words have been. I mean, at some point, I mean, I started trying to publish when I was twenty years old, and actually did in obscure little places in in Europe. Um, and it at some point, the bridges are burned. There's really nothing else I can do. This is this is why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like to use the word career because I feel as if it's different than that. Careers are chosen. This. This doesn't feel very chosen to me. Uh, this feels, I mean, it's a great joy and I love it, but it doesn't feel as if it's me. It's as if I've chosen it. It's come to me. It's an imperative you have. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, and you've published 17 books? Yeah, some of them really tiny like this one. Um, others. You keep uh, saying it's tiny, but it's so well, but thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It, it feels big. Yeah, yeah it feels uh, big. Good. <laughs> um, and then, you know, some full-length collections of poems, some edited volumes, uh, did one t- volume of translations. Um, so, yeah, they've, they've, they've added up over the years. 17 so, is a lot. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. And do you ever uh, write other than in poetry? Yeah, um, I do. I, I've, I've written stories, uh, did a collection of very short stories in the 90s called Life Science and Other Stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written some longer stories that have appeared here and there. Um, one, a couple of stories in, in, uh, that I've mixed with, uh, with poems in one book. Uh, I edited an anthology of stories that has a story in it. So more full-length stories. Oh, I've probably written 10, written mm-hmm. published 10 in my life. Fiction. Fiction, mm-hmm. yeah. And then very short stories, microfiction, flash, flash fiction, whatever people want to call them, stories that are two pages and less. Um, I did a bunch of those, including a, a little book that has about 30 of them in it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and then the translations, but the translations are poetry too. So. Beautiful. Uh, we're speaking to Keith Taylor, author most recently of Ecstatic Destinations. Uh, where can people find this book? Literati um, have it? The Literati has it, and I'm doing, um, I will have done an event on that on Friday. By the um, time this airs? By yes. the time this airs, yeah. Um, Nic- Nicholas has it. Nicholas has a bunch of copies out on Westgate. It's on Amazon. Not that I would want you to buy it on Amazon, but you can if that's what you do. Um, and And... You know, it's probably not going to be elsewhere. I don't know what the publisher is going to decide to do about expanding the print run if if she decides to do it. Um, But this is a book that's from Ann Arbor, and it's really meant to be sold in Ann Arbor. Here. Yeah. Yes. Um, It's a beautiful book. Would you like to read another selection? Sure, sure. Um, So 
um, you sort of my mixed feelings about the uh, the whitetails in the poem "The Cull" from a while ago is that yes. that sense that some of these things here that the, um, that if we start looking, um, we don't have to look, we don't have to force it very hard to start connecting it with some of the great sort of sacred moments in human history. So here's this little gully. Um, that has Allen Creek in it in the southwest corner of Vets Park, which, of course, I stick a biblical reference on that about uh, sacred groves of trees and the Judeo-Christian tradition coming out of that. It's from Genesis. Um, Abram planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord. So that whole idea of a sacred grove, grove which just, just sneaks into the Judeo-Christian tradition. So this is called Water, Waters Rising. The west branch of Allen Creek runs above ground for a hundred yards behind a grove of ornamental spruce grown high and wild. It courses through a small gully hidden by maples and volunteer hickories. Plastic grocery bags snag in their branches. No millennia of hatred spawned here, no gods created or none we know about yet. Just a forgotten clump of trees next to the business route off the interstate. They shade unexpected waters rising between culverts before disappearing like prayer, ignored beneath our city. So, yeah, the uh, I mean, maybe I'm not only beginning to smell like my father, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, some of some of my father's ideas are coming back in. Um, you, you, we never escape from being preacher's kids. Right? <laughs> that would be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's the sp- the spot that you mentioned earlier, that yeah. special place yeah, in the park, yeah, which I feel yeah. like you've given a secret away to I, you know, all of our it's, listeners. It's, if anybody were to walk there, they'd see it. So, and then they go, wow, why do they let that happen? Now they know more about right. it. Right. Um, so then I do a couple things. My, the, the publisher would call, there's several poems here, three or four poems in a row that the publisher called a prophetic sequence. Um, not so sure about that, but this one, this next little one is called Responsibilities. They get shorter, by the way, here. Um, and uh, uh, responsibility. Well, there's a lot of things I was thinking about to call it responsibilities. But I keep the feeders filled with seeds so jays come down noisy and unforgiving. They chase off starlings, then build their nests out back. I watch them from my study while far away towers fall and ancient cities crumble. Here's where you show up again in the, in the poems. I do. I do. Yeah. 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 Um, um, and then I disappear a little bit again. This one is the one that puzzles everybody. This next, next one, six lines long. Belshazzar's feast is the feast in the Old Testament where um, God writes on the wall. And mm-hmm. the only person who can interpret God's writing is Daniel of Daniel in the lion's den who comes in and, oh, and, right. and predicts that the that Babylon is going to fall uh, the next day, and mm-hmm. it does, to the Medes and the Persians. So, um, And I was thinking of Hebrew letters when I saw intersecting jet, jet trails in the sky, saying, oh, uh, they look like Hebrew letters. Um, wow. So, yeah. That, that, I mean, so six, that becomes six lines of poems. Not, I don't know if it works or not, but um, at Belshazzar's Feast. Hoping to save ourselves from the Medes and Persians, we offer prayers that we might understand again the elegance and purpose of jet trails across our cerulean sky. I'm so glad that you said that about the sky, because um, in this book, 
you're seeing everything. The reader gets to see everything that you see, and you're seeing these little details on the ground and oh, everywhere. Yeah, but yeah. the fact that you're also yeah, looking up you're is right. kind I of should, maybe I should hopeful. have done that more often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's. I'm, I'm glad that you sort of gave that context. Yeah. I was thinking we should hear Neil Young. For yeah, a moment. Let's hear Neil Should we Young. have a, a quick Neil Young no, break? Let's, let's have Neil and then Young. get back yeah. to Going we're speaking to, to uh, <laughs> we're speaking to Keith Taylor on the Living Writers Show, WCBN FM Ann Arbor. But here's Neil Young. I'll go out to Alberta Weather's good there in the fall I got some friends that I could go to work in for Still I wish you'd change your mind If I ask you one more time But we've been through this a hundred Strong winds that go lonely, seven seas that run high, all those things that don't change, come what may. If the good times are all gone, then I'm bound for moving on. Neil Young. Neil Young. From Winnipeg, Manitoba. There's a definite Canadian theme to the I music. Know, I know. <laughs> I, you gave me the chance. So, uh, um, and there's not too uh, many songs where Alberta's in it. So no, it's perfect. That one's in. Yeah. Um, would you like to read some more? I mean, sure. We're, we're Let, sort of having this I, lovely... Jump ahead with since we're, we're not... And I thought we'd, I'd read the whole pamphlet, but that's not going to happen, clearly, because we're talking too much, Amanda, which is very cool. <laughs> um, uh, so I read thought I should like. jump ahead to read this one, which was the, the one where this whole little collection started, the skateboard park seen from afar. Oh, yes, also, please. so I had this whole thing, and I wanted to write this poem about these, these skate, skateboarding guys. Um, and the Ann Arbor Observer, the month before, had... Um, had a cover on the skateboard park with these beautiful boys skateboarding around mm-hmm. the, the park. Um, and, and so when I got done this poem, I mean, I know those people. I write book reviews for them and they're friends. And I sent this to the editor. And the Anna Reserve does not publish poems. I mean, they publish reviews it. of poems yeah. that I write usually. But, <laughs> right. um, but um, you know, they don't publish poems. But they publish this one. Which is cool. Um, oh, I'm so glad to know that. Yeah. I don't think I and then they paid there. me for it. You know, poets aren't well, used to getting paid for uh, wow. for little nine-line poems. So, um, Let's hear it. So the first publication of this was in the Ann Arbor Observer. The Skateboard Park, Seen from Afar. Down past empty baseball diamonds, the skateboarders glide silently through air, their gossamer wings invisible. Their wheels grinding against the ramp, the crack of the boards when they pop upward into flight, it has all dissipated in the space between us. Even their mistakes are angelic. You talked earlier in the show about how uh, this came to you. This, this poem came to you sort of first, mm-hmm. and uh, you developed it into the rest of the book, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Can you talk at all about how other poems, how it works when, when you, yeah, you start I mean, a poem? I wish, 
I, I wish, know it's not magic. I had a way. I mean, this one, this one, I, you know, I'm, I, I'd, I'd sit there. I was watching them, um, thinking, "Oh, these kids are so graceful. They don't even know they're graceful." Mm-hmm. And then I walked around, and you know, it was a couple hundred yards away watching them, and it was like, "Wow, they're not only graceful; they kind of look like angels from this distance." I know none of them are, <laughs> but but they certainly look angelic from here. So that poem is right, right there. Suddenly, I have this. You know, athletic children who suddenly become, who assume a grace that, that feels almost otherworldly. Um, so I can fiddle with that, and that's, you know, I mean, I work, it's now nine lines. Um, you know, I work probably a couple of hours there on these nine lines, trying to get them something close to right, and then probably another few hours before. I mean, the one that's on the next page, for instance, is five lines long, and I know that that poem, when I drafted that, was probably two pages long, probably 35 lines, um, and it ends up just five lines. So, you know, and what's that, that process like? Are you, are you culling? Yeah, I mean, what there, doesn't need to something be that seems like an idea um, and, and you get it down, but it's clearly, it clearly doesn't feel like a poem when you get it down and then you start chopping away uh, until it does feel like a poem. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and and often, um, often you just get down to like the one image that seems right to you. Um, I mean, this one, the the, the one, um, the five line one. Um, it was at a time when I was particularly worried about monarch butterflies. Something I've done a little bit of, you know, citizen science work with. Um, I know scientists here in Ann Arbor who um, have done a lot of good, uh, um, difficult science on the monarchs. So I was worried about them, and then, um, and then not seeing them in our backyard for a couple of years, and and then seeing one in September doing its migration and flying right down the baseball line. Um, that seemed important to me, but basically in the end it was just capturing the moment. Um, and then this poem, I can appeared in some really old little magazine that comes out of Las Vegas. It's like, what does that mean to somebody in Las Vegas? I have <laughs> no idea, but it really means something. So here's, the, here's this little five-line one about the butterfly. That's Park, September. Exquisite. The loneliness of baseball diamonds at midday, flag fluttering above plastic toilets, a single monarch flitting south down the third baseline. Uh, you know, loneliness, yeah, um, and baseball diamonds, you know, abandoned by everybody in September and at midday become a symbol of, lo- uh, 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 an expression of loneliness, that one butterfly. But, you know, what does that mean? I'm not sure. Yet it feels right to me. So, And it feels more right than the two-page version. It does. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Much better. And, and much less focused on me. So. Yeah. It seems so... Um, it seems like that's the, the poet's most difficult job, is making those choices. And yeah. finding yeah. just the images and just the words. Yeah. Um, just the and, and, and And getting at some level comfortable with the uncertainty of it. Mm-hmm. That's what Keats called negative capability. So, mm-hmm. I ask most of our guests on the show for advice that they have for young or emerging writers, and we're sort of getting into that territory. And as I read in your bio, you spent most of 20 years teaching mm-hmm. writers, not necessarily young, but emerging or starting yeah, out writers yeah, no, at the and, college and, level you know, or, or otherwise. Yeah, man, most of them young um, college students anyway. Do you have go-to advice? Um, 
Yeah, and the advice keeps changing, and I and I think it might be getting a little um, harder now that I'm retired um, and have fewer <laughs> people to disappoint. Um, but um, if you feel compelled to do it, then you simply have to find a way to keep doing it. And for a long time. Um, the world isn't going to give you very many strokes for doing it. Nobody's really going to care except maybe your mom and your best friend. Um, and, and that, as an audience, will, will quickly age. Um, so you've got to find a way to keep doing it. And that way is is um, convincing yourself of its importance in your own life. And that, that can be very difficult when everybody else is... You know, designing software and making millions of dollars, um, and and you've got to do it. And then, of course, you have to know. I mean, I'm very much of the school as you have to know the the territory, the field that you're plowing, the the stuff around you. I mean, I'm I'm very much. It's very to me, writing is very very much tied to reading. Um, I don't think it is for everybody, but it is for me. Um, I read, and I want to be a part of that that republic, that republic of letters. Um, what do you read? Everything. Absolutely everything. Um, and uh, Poets read everything, can I just say? Yeah, yeah po- well, it's because he takes such, you know, he only writes five-line poems, yeah. right? So, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, but you read nonfiction. I, read, I read, read a lot of natural science. I've read a lot of natural science for 40 years. I read a fair amount of fiction. I review books. I'm at the point now in my life where I've decided to try to review more books, mm-hmm. um, particularly by people who are younger than me. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, Reviewing books on Michigan radio. I'm reviewing books for a couple of places online. Um, I do for 30 years. I've almost 30 years. I've reviewed books for the Ann Arbor Observer. Um, I, over the years, I've reviewed it for a bunch of newspapers, big and small, Los Angeles Times, Chicago Tribune. Um, and I've decided that I'm going to do more of that again. So, um, and that's just this summer. And I've reviewed a you know, bunch of novels, first first novels. Um, and I, I just realized this morning when I was starting another one, they're all they've all been by young women. So is that right? First novels by young women seems to be what I'm writing book reviews of now. So, what an important thing to create that bridge between an author and the audience. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, that's it's something that a yeah. reviewer does. Yeah, and that's and that's feeling important to me now too. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, once they're out, I can connect to them on Facebook and Twitter and you know, all <laughs> <Yeah>. those things. So. <laughs> yeah. But your advice for young writers is um, it was a little bit unexpected. I thought you were going to talk about um, more about how to write. Yeah. But what you what you said to, to our young writers listening, our emerging writers, is how to be and how to be confident in yourself yeah. and how to persevere exactly and that's yeah. you know i mean all these people i mean you when teaching at u of m you teach a lot of smart and talented people um and you see them writing things at 21 that i never could write at 21 i mean they're amazing and then at 25 they've stopped or people who come here for a graduate program which is an incredible competition so they've already been judged so good by the time they get here and then they work here and then they leave and they never write another poem that's just heartbreaking to me. But um, publishing is brutal, though. Publishing is brutal, and, and nobody really cares. Um, yeah. And and you know you've got to convince them to care, and and that can take a long time. Some people get you know enormous. They still get enormous success early before they're thirty. But you know somebody like me, it's like nobody paid attention until I was fifty. Um, <laughs> is that right? I didn't ask. Well, you that I got when a we were little, you know, about Yeah, I mean, I got a few strokes, and I yeah. published stuff before I was fifty. But really, nobody paid attention until then. Well, um, we're paying it was attention really gratifying. now. Thank Keith. you, Amanda. <laughs> Keith Taylor, you are the author most recently of Ecstatic Destinations. Um, our time is up, so it's time for Joni Mitchell All to right. close the All show. Right. Thank you for Canadian. being on Living Writers today. My pleasure.
pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? It tastes paradise, put up a parking lot. A dollar and a half just to see them Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone They pay paradise, put up a parking lot Hey farmer, farmer, put away the DDT now Give me spots on my apples Or leave me the birds and the bees You don't know what you've got till it's gone. The pay paradise, put up a parking lot. Late last night, I heard the screen door slam. And a big yellow taxi took away my old man. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? The pay paradise. Up a parking lot. I said, Don't it always seem to go? But you don't know what you've got till it's gone. The paradise, put up a parking lot. The paradise, put up a parking lot. The paradise, put up a parking lot. <laughs> have trouble having or keeping erections. This is called impotence. Your doctor can help you treat the impotence with medicine, a vacuum device, injections into the penis, or a surgical implant that helps with erection. But the most effective treatment